You are listening to the sermon series, Follow. In this sermon, Pastor Dan Chung examines the gospel according to Luke, the identity of Jesus, and the cost of discipleship. The following is a presentation of LifeLight Church in San Francisco. For more information and other audio content, please visit lifelightchurch.org. Well, let's go ahead and dive into our teaching today. Uh, We are in Luke chapter 16, verse 1 to 12. And what we're going to deal with today is a very, very difficult part of the Bible. It's a difficult text. And whenever you come across Bible, uh, passage in the Bible, and you look at it, wow, this is, I can't understand, this is hard. And when we say it's a hard, difficult text, more or less it has to do with the, the lack of contextual, um, basically, criticism, like contextual understanding. We don't know where this belongs and why this is here. Part of that belongs to also is the reason for is a translation. We can't figure out if this is the right translation or the you know the where the translation comes from and all of that. So it's it's hard to understand the text because we don't know where it fits. What's easy to get is and you guys some of you guys understand if you've been along with us and what you do with Exodus and Joshua now is you're going to hermeneutics of text. You're just trying to understand deeper into the text where it came from, the culture, history, context the language, the type of genre of the writing, you try to understand all of that. But sometimes, when we know, when you know all of that, it's very difficult to understand. So, there are some very difficult texts in the Bible, and this is one of them. And what people try to do is they try to force it into something else that it's really not. So, one of the things people try to do is make it very evangelical. Like, oh, it's about the good news, it's about the gospel, this is a good thing. Or try to fit it into a topic that they want to address. Like, oh, we're going to... This seems like we're talking about money, so we're going to fit it into it. We're going to talk about finance and how people should treat money. Uh, or sometimes people are just lazy. And most of the times, actually, people are just lazy. They look at the text. This is kind of difficult. What can I do with it to try to fit it into what I want to talk about? And that's what people do usually because they're lazy. And today's text is probably one of the most notoriously difficult texts in the gospel. Um, and it's just weird to interpret because what pe- happens to people is people walk away asking, did Jesus just kind of approve or, or high-five this guy who is a liar and a thief and he's done even more stealing to save his neck? That's kind of what you walk away with. What happened here? Right? Some people even ask, like, is it so it's okay to cheat our way into heaven or buy our way into heaven? Because that's what the text is on the surface saying it. And so it's really difficult to understand. You go, what is this? <laughs> and when you come across a difficult text, the best way to deal with it is just kind of avoid it, <laughs> skip it, right? Uh, and that's kind of what we do. We, you read in your own daily reflection, read a, read a text, it's difficult, you can just skip it. Oh, we're going to move on. And some pastors do it too. Some preachers, they go, I don't want to talk about this. And they skip it. And it, really the beauty of it, because we're going through the whole book, we have to deal with it. And we're going to have to deal with it. Right? We're going to have to deal with it. And sometimes people just kind of generalize it. And that's what I read. I read through commentary after commentary. A lot of commentators are saying, well, the lesson of this story is, and they just kind of generalize the whole thing. What? This doesn't help. They're not really digging into it. And the backdrop of today's text is about failure. There's a person who's failed. Right? Failures. And you know, what's interesting is, that's kind of how people 
deal with a difficult task is they just kind of, oh, what am I going to do? Let's just skip it. And that's kind of the way that people deal with their failures, right? Well, I failed. I'm going to move on and find the easy way as way possible to get over it or minimize the damage. But that's what we're going to talk about. Failure in life, and it's really a part of life, right? It's part of life. Even a life of believers, even the people of God, we fail. Even the church, even ministry. Ministry sometimes fails. doesn't work out. And we're going to kind of look through that and think about that. So, you have your uh, the title here. Today's um, teaching, the message is part two of prepared life. We went through part one of prepare life a few weeks ago. Today's the part two. And it's about how do we prepare failures in life. But not so much as in when you fail, it's all about counseling and you know doing business and you know what's, how to take care of the damages or not. But it's more of understanding where is God, how does God fit in this, what are the understanding that we need to have in life in our head as we prepare life. So I'm going to give you two things that's going to be key in understanding what it means to prepare life against failures. So, we're going to go on and read our text. Um, and it's going to chapter 16, which continues on from last week's study, which was chapter 15. It's the same theme. I want you to remember, it's the same theme, theme which is sin, repentance, and grace. Chapter 15, chapter 16 is one sitting of Jesus. Jesus said he went through two chapters. There really isn't chapters in originally. In the Bible, there are really no chapters originally, so we get to be confused. Oh, there's a chapter, so it must be new stuff. It's not. Chapters didn't exist until 4th century. So this is one sitting. Same theme, so that's what we're going to read. Okay, so I'll read one verse, and you read the next. This is Luke chapter 15, verse 16, verse 1 through 12. Then Jesus said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him, and this man was squandered his that this man ha, was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, What is that I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, What will I do now that my master is taking the position away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided to do so. So summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he asked the first, How much do you owe my master? He answered, just follow him, him, take your bills, sit down quickly, and make Then he asked another, How much, and how much do you owe? He replied, A hundred containers of wheat, he said to him. Take your bill and make it eighty. And the master commanded his son's and I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? Okay, let's pray. Dear God, we pray that your spirit will be upon us to open our hearts, to give us understanding, and to 
help us be convicted in the in the uh, in, your, in your teaching. And as we take these words, that our lives be shaped according to your will, and in the way that we prepare our lives for you. May the word of my mouth and and a meditation of our hearts be pleasing and be acceptable to you. Amen. Amen. So, what do you think? You read it. Any thoughts? It's been said that many Christians have been offended by this parable, and uh, some find it very disturbing. And uh, like I said, many preachers just you know plainly avoid it. And the reason is because there's this this manager who is so plainly dishonest, and but he's being praised by Jesus for being a liar and a thief. So that's why people find it disturbing and. In fact, in 4th century, a, a Roman official named Julius, yeah. and his apostate, he took this passage and took it to the court saying, look at this, this is what Jesus teaches his people to be liars and thieves. Mm. So it has been misunderstood for centuries, yeah. and this has been the one that's really been disturbing. And really, just the words like shrewd and clever is describing God's people doesn't make sense. It just feels wrong for us because... It, may indicate, you know, self-centered and self-serving and, you know, ethically really questionable things. So, it's been challenging, but whenever we read the text in the Bible, all the, the approaches is the same. We want to understand, in this case, how would Jesus' listeners have heard, have heard it and responded to it? How have they heard it and how would they have responded to it? And that's what we want to find out. So let's go ahead and look at the parable. What's going on here? There are characters. Who are the characters? There's a rich man, right? And there's a manager, right? There's a rich man and a manager, and surrounding them is a community. Obviously, they belong to a town. And the rich man, rich man that we read, we read here is a he's a noble person. He's an honorable person. Um, we know that because he's been informed by people in the town about his master squandering away his money, which means people respect him and care for him, which means he's a respected, honored person in town, right? And we know that the rich man is a landowner. We've seen a few of them in the uh, previous text, the previous uh, stories we read. Um, and apparently because the, we're talking about wheat and oil, he's a farmer, right? He l- owns land that is for farming. And what do we know about the manager? Who's a manager? Manager here is like a, it's like a business manager, almost like an accountant. Like he takes care of the he takes care of business for the for the master, right? But what we know is he's the charge has been brought up. He's a liar and a thief, right? So every time when you look at Jesus, when you read Jesus' parable, there's a person who's good and there's a person who's not good. There's an honorable person and there's a dishonorable person. Like in case of the, the prodigal son, who's a good person? The father, right? Who's the bad person? The sons, right? There's always two. So you're going to have to find out who's the honorable one, who's the dishonorable one. So you can't confuse the two. So in this case, the manager is the bad one. The master is the, the good one, right? The good person. So we know that because he's found out. Uh, it says charges were brought to him, which generally speaks in a sense that He's been lying and he's been cheating, right? He's been cheating off the owner. So it comes to the knowledge of the owner, the master, and he's fired. 
he's fired at that spot. You're fired, right? So what's interesting is that he doesn't try to say defend himself. He doesn't argue, which is actually common. When you're when you're fired, when the charges were brought on you, what do you do usually? You argue, right? You try to make cases. Oh, you know, and can you? This is my situation. This is why I did it. But he doesn't. He's silent. So which really speaks that he admits that he's guilty, right? And it, on flip side of that, it also shows the way the owner is. The owner is not argued. It's not pressured, which means the owner cannot be argued, manipulated, or pressured. He's a firm person. And what we also know from this culture is the owner is showing mercy. Because what could happen to this manager if he had been lying? Or thrown into jail, right? He's been cheating, so he's thrown into jail. He took money from the owner, and his family will be sold as slaves to make up for what he cheated. So that's the really the what need to be happened. But what does the owner do? The master just goes, just dismisses him. You can no longer be my manager. So you know that he's showing mercy. So we are clear that the manager is the bad one, and owner is honorable person. So what happened to manager? He's so he's no longer manager. He no longer has the authority. But what we know in the story, he still got time, because this process of termination was taking place privately. So he looks at it, he thinks, I got time to do something about this, right? So he says in verse 2, owner says, give me an accounting of your management. Basically what it's saying is, give me the accounting book, bring your book to me. So in verse 3, the the manager goes, what will I do now that my master is taking the position away from me? When I am dismissed as a manager, which means when I am dismissed, taking both says that he's got time. This is in the process. So he has a bit of time, so he needs to come up with an idea for his own survival. So you can see in verse 3, I am not strong enough to dig or ashamed to beg. What he means is, I'm not going to do any of this stuff. I want to get my career back on track, despite what's happened here. I want to still become a manager of another master. So he comes comes up with an idea, right? comes up with the idea, and his idea basically is to cheat more. Right? And it's so true. Sin begets sin. This person, instead of repenting, he decided to steal some more. And isn't that kind of how the sin, what happens with the sin? You know, you walk into a grocery store, you steal, people witness it, and you lie more, or you shot somebody, and there's a witness, so you shot that other person. I mean, when you look at a crime... Crime generates more crime, right? Your sin begets more sin. You've done terrible things, and you got to lie about it, and you have to lie to other people, you have to cover it up, right? Sin begets more sin, right? And uh, you failed in life, so you try to do wrong things, selling drugs, and covering up, and killing the drug, you know, boss, and all of that. It just gets worse and worse and worse, Right? So, that's what he does. He decides, oh, I'm going to steal some more. And understanding what he's done, we need to understand two things. And there is, I think the, the way that a lot of commentators and people, you read this and misunderstand is because in the Bible, in Deuteronomy, there's a prohibition against the lending to people. So, it's, we can easily think, oh, the owner is at fault here. The master shouldn't be lending people money. But the law says, um, in prohibiting Israelites from uh, the lending money is to protect the poor, the exploitation of poor. But in this case, this is business transaction. 
And in, in this time, the business transaction yielded high uh, interest rates. Um, it was common for the interest rate to be 50%. So there's almost a saying, there's a common saying that, oh, let me borrow this and you can add the half, which means commonly the interest rate is 50%. That's how the business was done. Right? So this guy is trying to scam with the debtors. I don't know how it's going on, but he calls the debtors, say, hey, I'll take the interest off of whatever you owe. Here's a 50% off. Here's a 20% off. This is all the interest. I'm, I'm take, take, taking that off so you can be show favoritism to me when I'm fired. Or he's kind of scheming together with the debtors, right? Um, it's embezzlement, right? It's, so I'll take the half of that and I'll take the half of that. Give me some of that. So he's scamming up. And the amount that he does is large. Uh, it says um, 100 jugs of olive oil. And his, he gets down to 50. And 100 jugs of olive oil is 875 gallons of oil. And that's 146 olive trees. So it's huge. Um, 100 containers of wheat is 100 bushels. So it's whatever you eat from 100 acres. So this isn't just small business. Deal. This is a big business deal. So the owner was dealing with some big business uh, dealings. So the, the manager continues the process probably with everybody um, and keep on squandering even more money from the master. And it's really tricky. He's, he, he's trickery because by doing it, he's gaining favor from others and he's showing his cleverness. And guess what happens in the town? A bunch of people are having their uh, debt interest paid. So people are happy. Community, town is in like festive mode. They're partying. They're, wow, the owner has been so gracious because they don't know that the, the manager was fired. So what he's doing is, not only is he adding favor of debtors for himself in case he gets, when he gets fired, but he's also staking on that this master of his yeah. is graceful and merciful. He's going to keep this on. So when you look at the owner, the master has two choices. He can go to the town, gather his debtors, and say, look, there has been a mistake. My manager has been fired. What you agreed on is false. And there really is no authority for him to have done that, so I need to take back what's been done. That's his option one. Option two is to continue on and being gracious, say, that's fine. I keep that, and I will pay for my manager's salvation so to speak. So you see how the story continues on. The master, the father, and the manager, the son, the younger son. So the parable ends with, um, when you look at verse 8, the first part of verse 8 is where the parable ends. It says, And his master commanded a dishonest manager because he had acted shrewd, uh, shrewdly. Um, he's been commended for his prudence um, and cleverness. And the uh, rest of the verse 8 says, for the children of this age is more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the children of light. Right? The sons of light here is the servants of God, the people of God. And you know, it's good for us to remember that because in Matthew, Jesus says, we must be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. Right? Something that we can take away from. But it does bring us challenging aspects. Because in verse 9, it says, And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal home. 
two questions, right? Is Jesus commanding trickery and dishonesty? Right? Or is Jesus take, talking about getting into heaven by building favors? So that's questionable. What is going on here? So what is this about? The usual suspects, on this case, when people read this, they try to understand. They're saying that the manager is commanded not for his dishonesty, but you know, it's, it's been solely about the, how he dealt with the crisis. Um, so, hey, yay, the manager. Manager's great. He's done a good job. Or, uh, people talk about, well, you need to, it's talking about Jesus, how Jesus forced people to make decisions, and uh, when even dishonest words that people know how and when to take decision-making, decision, decisive act, it should be the same for those who follow him. Or, you know, or a number of different things. It's confusing, but what we see in the surface is, well, it's dealing with the crisis, how to work with finance, and how to get out of crisis. By the way, my uh, facial hair has been changing from beard to goatee in the middle of the week, and now this, and Esther asks if I'm having crisis. <laughs> That's what people do in their middle age. I'm getting there. Um, but that's not what it's about. What's a parable? A moral teaching. No. It's not, right? What's a parable? What do we talk about being parable it's being? It's a story. It's a story, but what what about parable makes story more significant? Double-sided story. Double-sided, right? Not only double-sided, but it, there's something deeper. So we have to look at it because this is a parable. It can't be what we just read on surface. So what does this mean? It's not a piece of moral teaching on how to take care of crisis or about money. It is not. So what we went through, we just went through what it is not. So what is it? To get a hint, to understand, the two things that helps us understand, one is context, two is the audience. So context, and I told you there are no chapter divisions, so we need to understand this is continuing from chapter 15, the parables in chapter 15, which talked about noble father, gracious father, and it's the same thing. We see the parallels from the previous parallel, uh, parables to this. Um, there's a wayward uh, failed sons and manager and both squanders. When you uh, read in verse 1, it says, this man was squandering his property. That's the same language used for younger son. So you know this story is continuing. Same thing. Um, and it also deals with broken trust and broken relationship. So it's the same thing, context-wise. Uh, and we also know that in chapter 16, when as we get to the rest of chapter 16, um, from this point on, the audience is widened. Not only is he talking to Pharisees who ask him questions, but he's also talking to disciples. So that's why in verse 1 he said, Then Jesus said to the disciples. So it includes larger audience, uh, the rest of chapter 16, however, is going to be focusing on money and Pharisees. So, next week we're going to talk about this story, the parable of Lazarus and the rich rich man. Which some of you know the story. Lazarus, the rich rich man, is the, the figure of elder brother from the story of um, the prodigal son. And the Lazarus is a friend to the rich man who could have welcomed him in heaven. So, I want to try to build a connection of a contact, context. It's continuing the whole of chapter 15 and 16. 
So it's almost like, ah, so this parable is a link between the previous parables and parables that's coming up. Um, I wanted to put that in like, ah, because uh, there's a person that Josh and I know who says that, who's preaching and goes, ah, so that means, and his name is Dr. Noble, um, he is a... Uh, He's one of the professors in the in, in NTS, the school we went, and he's a he's a intellectual giant. Like when I'm with him, I feel like this tiny. Hello, Dr. Noble. Um, so I want to let you know that he's coming to Northern California. He's speaking for one one day in Concord, and on Monday, not this Monday, but following Monday. And I will tell you, it's worth taking your day off from work or school and going and listening to him. He's also got Scottish accent, so some of you find him fascinating. Um, you sit there and you, you couldn't believe what you're receiving. So I want to invite all of you, uh, if anyone's interested, to go uh, with Josh and I to um, listen to the lecture from Dr. Noble. What is it? It's the 10th. Uh, it's all day. So it's morning to the evening, because we're going to conquer. Yeah, so much Yeah. It'll be an experience that you, you know, you'll be thankful when you, if you, if you become, you know, if you attend it. So, so this is a link between the previous parable and, and the next parable, but the audience, the target, who's the target here? When you look at the, the whole of chapter 15, 16, Jesus is talking about and to Pharisees and Israel. What do we know about them? The Pharisees. And Israel at this time, in Jesus' time, we know that they're kind of like the manager. They're being fired. They've done a terrible job. Right? They've done a terrible job. They're being fired from being the children of light. So, this parable is about failed people, but specifically, Jesus is talking about the Pharisees and Israel. The master, obviously, is God, right? Master is God. The manager is Israel. And what it's saying is, Israel has failed its task of being the light of the world, being children of light, and taking care of God's possessions. They have failed. And in trying to get back to what they have failed in, they add more rules, they avoid neighbors, and they build walls, um, around them. And what Jesus is saying is, really, what you should be doing is making friends. What you should be doing is go out, be clever, make friends, because you are failing, you're going to be fired. In fact, you are already fired. What they should be doing is making friends in other nations. In that, if they do that, they will at least reach out to them with the light, with the, with the gospel. That's what Jesus is saying. And when you look at it, historically, what happens this point on from, with Israel? In, 1960, in, in uh, AD 69, Jerusalem gets crushed, and they do a few more revolt against Roman Empire, and in, in year 136, Jews get exiled out of Israel. And it's not until 1947, some of you know, the UN partition plan for uh, Palestine, that Jews, Israelites, get to get, go back to their homeland. So the parable is about the same thing that Jesus has been saying. This is what's going to happen. You're not doing what you should be doing because you're being fired. You're being pushed out of your land. If you want to be in a land that is eternal, not as in heaven, but that would secure you for a long time, 
you need to make friends because you're going to need a place to go. We know in the history they got fired by God. So, how do we relate that story to our situation? It's nothing to do with doing business or personal finance. How do we relate? I think we need to reassess where we are in God's calling in our lives, right? And decide what matters and what we need to do. And what is parallel to this story with Israel is church has gone the same way. When you look at Christian church, we failed. We failed. And, and really, some people argue that church stopped existing since the Constantine made Christianity official religion. We have failed. And now, the Christendom has ended. Church has no way to reach out to people. We don't know how to do it. We don't know what to do. So, it actually relates to us in a way. Well, what do we do as a people of God in getting back and doing again what God has entrusted to us? In doing what we need to do. The work that we have to do. And in coming weeks, coming months, we're going to talk a lot about that. And that's asking ourselves, what has God called us to do in a city that we live in? In our situations, in our neighbors, in our family. What has God called us to do? There is a part that talks about you know, being shrewd and being clever when things go wrong. The, I think the fascination, people's fascination with Breaking Bad is, is just this. Breaking Bad, the character, uh, Heisenberg, <laughs> is just kind of like this manager, right? He's failed. He's at the end of the road, cancer or whatever, and he's not happy with his life. And he's looking at it, he goes, I need to do something. He's being very cunning and shrewd. But in his trying to survive, save his neck, he's keep beginning sin, right? Doing, getting into worse trouble and worse trouble, worse trouble. Doing worse things and worse things and worse things. But we're fascinated by it because he's so smart. Oh, let's see how he gets out of that. See how he's making all this money. But at the same time, he's being really bad. And he's getting worse and worse and worse. But there is a lesson to be learned. God calls us to be clever. But really, the bigger lesson, more important part of today's text is, what do we need to do? What can we learn that would keep us from getting fired? What is the teaching? And this teaching is in verse 10 to 12. And that's the, the key of what it means to live prepared life. So I'm going to tell you two things. What it teaches us today. Living prepared life. First, you look at verse 10. It says, Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much. And whoever is dishonest in very little is dishonest also in much. Living a prepared life is about being faithful in very little things. That's what it comes down to. And you compare it. Planned life, if you have a plan, you have planned for you to be where you want to be, millionaire, successful, big stuff. And what it does is you overlook the steps that you need to take to get there, right? And because you overlook it, you devalue things that are happening to you right now. I'm not there yet. This is just the way that I'm going to pass through. These are temporary things, little things, right? So you devalue these things, and when you get stuck, you get discouraged. And you're grudging, right? You go, oh, I can't believe I'm 
stuck at this one. So you hate yourself being stuck at it. So this is what happens. You are dishonest. You're unfaithful to little things because you consider it less value. And you heard it. People say, well, if you can't even do this, why am I going to let you do that? So you are stuck in life because you're living planned life. And you're going to get fired. Right? And this is really true in our lives. If you're living planned life, whether you're in school, work, church, ministry, relationships, you're living planned life and you're thinking this, like, oh, I can't believe I'm going to city college. I hate this. You know, I don't want to do this. Or I can't believe I'm stuck at this job, flipping burgers, you know, making sandwiches. Um, this, this is terrible. But... Or you get a place where you're thinking, well, this job is just temporary. I'm going to move on. I'm going to have a better job. I'm going to do more significant things. Right? So you're unfaithful. You don't value these things. Right? You don't value all the school, all that you can take in. Or your relationships. You take relationships lightly. Oh, this doesn't matter. Or you're in a place, you're in a school or work. You look around, there are people around you, but you think, oh, I'm just going to pass through these people. They're going to be stuck at this job, but I'm going to move on. These people are not important to me. They're just someone who's in the way, along the way, as I'm moving on, onward. You take everything without value. And you, you're not faithful in little things. The opposite is prepare life. In prepare life, you're faithful to little things, little jobs, insignificant work. And what that allows you to do is value it, enjoy it, Right? You light up, you're in, excited about it, and people honor you, say, you're doing so good. You love what you're doing. Right? And you, in that, you take everything that God wants to give in that little situation. The tendency for us is to be unfaithful to little things. But when you look at it, life is full of little things. Most of us, or all of us, don't sign you know, a bill that's going to change the country, or... Uh, come up with an idea that's going to save people's lives, or most of us don't make decisions that thousands of people's jobs will depend on. We don't do that, right? Most of us just get up in the morning, do little things. You know, on the voting days, we do a check mark in voting. We don't have a great ideas to go or save people. We just do mundane, ordinary things day by day. And the, you know, the, the temptation is to take it lightly. And say, oh, these don't matter. But the key to prepare life is to be faithful to little things. If you can't be faithful to little things, who would give you more important things? Even in ministry. Well, you know, I want to be um, on staff with Young Life. Well, can you help with this? No, I'm too busy. But when I'm on staff, I'll do all these things. You know, people go through that. Some pastors go through, oh, I'm a youth pastor, but this is just so that I can move on and be a senior pastor or be a bigger church. You know, that's how we go through in planned life. But prepare life, we're faithful in little things. So it's not a question of whether you can do the job or do these little things, but it's, the question is, are you being faithful in the place that God has you, in the little job that God has you? To prepare life is consistently living a faithful life where you value all things, all work, all sacrifices, and all rewards. Number two, verse 11 says, If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, 
who will entrust to you the true riches? Second key to prepare life is recognizing that prepare life is entrusted life. That it's a life of stewardship. We don't own anything. What's been entrusted to us is for time being, it's temporary. There's a saying in this Palestinian culture, in Israel culture, they would say this way, use your stuff that you own like you would take care of other people's stuff. You see how that's upside down from what we say? We say, oh, treat it like it's yours. But it used to be different. It used to be, treat it like it's somebody else's because you would care for somebody else's more. We have upside down value where mine is important and mine, whatever is not mine, isn't important. But entrusted life means everything that we have, we don't own it. It's been entrusted to us. And you know, that's pretty much everything when you look at it. Earth, breath, our life, things that we own, things that we don't own, it's all gift of God. We don't own it. And you know, when it, and Christians should be the one that really recognize it and be good stewards of it when it when it has to do, you know, things like environment, recycling, caring for the ocean, all of that. Because we want to be good steward of what God has given us. Prepare life is entrusted life, and entrusted means that we are the subject first of faithfulness. Can you believe that? Entrusted life means God has first been faithful to us by entrusting with that to us. And that's the mystery of all is why would God give me this life? Why would God use me or want me to the work of His kingdom? It makes no sense. But recognizing that we our living in trusted life means that God has first been faithful to us. And that means we need to take responsibility. If you have been trusted with much, then the much is required from you. And that goes on with your knowledge, your faith. Some of you shared that, oh, I want to grow in faith. I want to be mature. You understand that when you are talking about maturity in faith, that comes with more responsibility that you have to other people, that you have in the kingdom of God. If you haven't been entrusted with much, then you are, much is required from you. So let me close with this. Verse 12 says, And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is yours own? And that's the good news. Who will give you? Who's the giver of all things? When you read through these three verses, and when you look at the story of the prodigal son and the, the unjust uh, the manager in this story, we realize that there's the father, there's the master, who is the giver of all things, who wants to give us all things, who makes a promise that you will have all things. I want to give all things to you. And there's a reward. There's a heavenly treasure. And there's life. And he gives us life. And life to the fullest. And that's what we receive in this story is there's unfaithful son, unfaithful manager, but there's a faithful father and faithful master. Gracious master who wants to give us 
And that's what we celebrate. When we come to the communion, is we celebrate the Father, the Master who wants to give us all, who have given us all. If He can give us His life, own life, what would He possibly hold back from us? So it's my prayer that all of us live prepared life, which is entrusted life, which is life that is we are faithful to little things. From little church, that we grow on to be a bigger church because we are faithful to what we have now, to one another now. And you know, I really want to see um, our community grow. But that means as you grow, you will take a more responsibility. Because that's what it means to grow and mature. Um, you saw the number of people who stand up. There's like 10 of us who are anyway officially member or fellowship members. And, you know, I really want to see 30 people who are members and fellowship members here. And then we might move out, right? And then we might move out to a larger place. This place will be packed. And I think I'm looking forward to that. I think we may have about 20 now. Um, so time will come soon that we'll have 30 and we'll have to move out of different places. And I really want you to kind of scope out the place that we could meet. And um, the idea is that we want to meet in a place that's reached out to what God has placed in our life, which is the city, more central, not necessarily mission, uh, but the place that's more central that we can draw people in. And it may not be, and it should not be a church, it's hard to meet at church and I'm thinking when you go places think about us think about where could life like meet where could we meet bars or you know galleria or different places cafe I always thought bars and club nightclub would be perfect place for church to meet because they're closed during the day we can meet they have all the sound system all the serving areas and everything set up it's built for church right <laughs> and it's closed. They're not using. Easy for band practice. Easy for band practice, right? And easy to tell people, hey, come to, we're meeting at this bar. Or this nightclub. Right? But it starts with us maturing, growing, and taking on the responsibility. And that starts with every each one of you being faithful to little things. Starting moving chairs, folding this, going to classes, and saying hi to your friends. Being good to your fellow, you know, workers, your family, your parents, your siblings. It starts with little things. And that's all we have, little things. Being satisfied with it, being faithful to it, and enjoying it. Let me pray. Jesus, I pray that your spirit will help us to examine and investigate our hearts, that we may repent to you, that we have been unhappy, we have been unfaithful to little things, to the people that are in our lives and because we were concerned with bigger things. And I pray that we'll all strive to live faithful life in wherever you would have us and we recognize that you have entrusted us with much. And in doing that, God, I pray that you give us courage. And you give us hope and you give us joy. In Jesus' name, amen. This concludes our presentation. 
For more information and other audio content, please visit lifelightchurch.org.